This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Dave, how you doing? Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm all right. Now, are you are you back from England? Are you in I, England? No, I got back Sunday night. So, are you ready to dive in and talk yeah, about the book and talk about it? Awesome? Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and my guest today is Associate Professor of Theology at Westminster Theological Seminary and regular columnist at placefortruth.org, Dr. David Garner. Dave is the author of a recent book entitled Sons in the Sun, the subtitle of which is The Riches and Reach of Adoption in Christ. He's here to talk with us today about his new book and about the subject of adoption. So, Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. It's good to be here. Now, I want to dive right into the topic of adoption. Uh, some some people will say, and I think maybe it's a common understanding amongst, among those outside the church, for sure, and even some within it, that all people are God's children. In what sense is that true, and in what sense does that differ from what you're talking about in the New Testament teaching on adoption? Yes, there's an interesting debate in 19th century uh, Scottish history, theology, about whether mankind as created being is son of God or whether he's not, and whether there's only a redemptive notion of sonship or not. I I would simply argue, Jonathan, that being made in the image of God is a really a, a synonym for being a son of God in a created sense. But just as the scriptures make clear to us that Adam and Eve, in their disobedience, were alienated from God, though they remained in his image, it was distorted, and their fellowship, their relationship, and frankly, their ultimate destiny took on an entirely different course because of sin, and that shaped their relationship with their creator, with whom they no longer had that fellowship of family, if I could put it that way. So what the doctrine of adoption does for the Apostle Paul is actually provide a window into the nature of what redeeming grace provides, and that is that takes those who are not the sons of God in intimate fellowship and being conformed into his image um, and makes them such through the Lord Jesus Christ, the excellent son, the beloved son, as the scriptures call him. I noticed in your book that you spend some time talking about some of the background of the Greek word that Paul uses for adoption. Why is it important to understand the specific background and meaning of of the terms that are used? That you just gave a sort of thumbnail sketch of a kind of a biblical understanding of adoption, but but you get a little more specific than that and I wonder if you could talk about that. Yes, you know, fascinating. You know, Paul does not choose terms. None of the authors of Scripture choose terms randomly. Obviously, we would argue that the Spirit is the author of Scripture, and as Second Peter makes clear, that the human authors are wholly guided by the Spirit. But even in the choosing of particular terms, it's important for us to understand their historical usage in order for us to understand what analogies, connections, theological points that the authors of Scripture are making by the selection of those terms. And the term for adoption, the Greek word huia thesia, 
is one of those fascinating terms that is rich with historic significance in imperial Rome, in which a Roman emperor, if he looked at his biological offspring and saw none who would be qualified to, in his estimation, perpetuate the line, he would find someone outside of his biological children and adopt him as son in order to preserve the line. In other words, the the notion of adoption in Paul's day was an exalted form of sonship. It was better than biological sonship, if I could put it that way, because of the excellency, the respect, and the character associated with the one who was adopted. And what's remarkable is that that's the term that Paul uses for us in view of the wonderfully glorious, all-satisfying work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He makes us exalted sons, and adoption is a term that provides a wonderful window into that. So you talk about the way in which adoption plays itself out in Greco-Roman culture. I wonder if you could explain how all those uh, benefits in the culture are seen in our adoption into God's family through Christ. Well, so that's a loaded question, a very good one. I, I think to just to answer you simply, what this term adoption does because of its exalted function in imperial first century imperial Roman culture and the exalted way in which Paul uses it in view of its analogous riches for us in understanding the gospel, it drives us to Christ because as we look at what the fall has done and its corruption and alienation, there's nothing excellent and good about us. And yet what this term actually unveils for us is the depth and scope of God's amazing grace in that he not only brings us into his kingdom as slaves or or paupers or servants, and that, frankly, would be glorious in its own right, but actually he describes us and even makes us as he conforms us into his excellent son's image, as Paul describes in Romans 8. He makes us this exalted, gives us this exalted status as sons in his very uh, home, if I can put it that way. We are his covenant children. He is our God and Father. We are his children. I noticed that in one of the chapters, you have a section entitled Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, Adoption, Holiness, and inheritance. I wanted to break that down a little bit or ask you to break it down a little bit. You mentioned some of the connections between adoption and holiness in that the Lord is at work in us by the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. But I think you explain that in even greater detail when discussing the significance of adoption. So if you could, what does my adoption have to do with my growth in holiness? Yeah, well, so it deals with a number of things. One of the things that's a bit confusing just in terms of our Western mindset and orientation when we see the word adoption, we think of Western uh, society and, and culture and the way in which adoption is primarily a legal and then relational reality. Whereas for Paul, it is clear that adoption is more than legal and relational, though it is those things. But it also drives to the very heart of the one to whom he unites us 
he unites us to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, as Paul calls him. And that drives us down to the very motivations for our obedience, that what is cultivated in us as we are conformed into the image of Christ is not only a calling to holiness, but an enablement to holiness through the power of Christ's life-giving spirit, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to long to be like Jesus and then indeed to be conformed to his image by the power of his spirit working in us. And the family and filial or sonly context of that shapes the way in which we understand that. This is a a father who has made us his children, and now because of his spirit that he's given us, we are able, compelled to delight in obeying him as his sons. So it sounds like if at a pastoral level you were talking with a Christian about her or his Christian life, you would say, it is vitally important that you understand your status as a as a son adopted by God, and it's going to have all kinds of implications for your understanding of that relationship, and then it does, in reality, have implications for how he is working within you. Yes, and I would say sweetly so. I, I think because of adoption's understatement in historically in, in, in theology – we have a sense that it's important. We even appreciate in some level its sweetness. But as we probe its depth, I would argue that it points us to the glory and splendor of Christ, the scope of his love, the the efficacy of his work in ways that is gripping and, frankly, life-changing. And, yes, I would point someone to their status but I would point them to their status by virtue of their union with Christ Jesus, the resurrected Son of God. In that same chapter, you you talk about holiness. You also talk about inheritance. It strikes me that one of the things that's lost today when we talk about adoption, the relational aspect is emphasized in our just human conception of adoption in modern Western society. But the inheritance aspect is sort of disconnected from it for all kinds of reasons having to do with the way our legal system works and our, and our inheritance laws work. So I'm wondering if you could explain in a little more detail the way in which adoption is closely tied to inheritance mm-hmm. in the world in which Paul was writing. Well, I would want to first tie it to our understanding of the covenantal structure of Scripture in which the promise for obedience to Adam in the garden was a a life experience, a status of life, and a relational uh, status that exceeded even the blessing of Eden. And that covenantal structure continues through Scripture, whereby the very goal that was given to Adam in the promise of the covenant by his failure is actually met in the last Adam and his success, so that what Christ attains for us is the full bounty of the glories and inheritance that God has set aside for his people. It's frankly so rich and so magnificent that we are not only uh, joint heirs with Christ in his suffering, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, but we are also joint or co-heirs with him in his glory. So all the glory that Christ has attained in his life, death, and then his resurrection and ascension, 
The gospel conveys to us all of that is given to us because what are we given? We're actually given Christ himself. The riches of this are just strikingly rich because everything in terms of the exalted status of Christ through his obedience is actually counted to us, given to us, so that as we suffer with him now, we will permanently, gloriously reign with him. And the inheritance language of the New Testament is robust in that sense, that the Spirit is given as a pledge of that inheritance, but we will realize that inheritance in full on the last day. Dave, I'm imagining that many of the people who might click on this podcast to listen to it might initially think that we were going to take up the subject of human adoption today, which many Christians have emphasized. And there is a connection that some theologians have made, that because we understand in such a rich way as Christians adoption by God, that that should lead us to support adoption at a human level. Are there connections there? And and if so, how how would you articulate them? You know, I am so stricken by the the courage and humility that is in, entailed by those families who pursue orphan children, both in the United States as well as abroad, bring them to their homes, make them their own children. I mean, it is a striking picture of grace and kindness and mercy that surely is it resonates with with gospel reality. The teaching that I think that Paul gives us about adoption in his letters, however, I think drives us to even a richer understanding of adoption in the human sense. In other words, I don't think we're going to perceive the glory of adoption by viewing Paul's notion of adoption through our human, social, and legal conceptions of the 20th and 21st centuries. Rather, I think we ought to look at the whole of our lives and identity by virtue of what God has given us in Christ Jesus the Son of God resurrected, and discover all of those glories. And what we're going to find then is even a greater motivation, not only for adopting orphan children, but for the exercise of faith and faithfulness in all areas of our lives that is truly a wonderful privilege as children of God. Dave, last question. I want to thank you for writing this book, and I, and I want to commend it to all our listeners. Again, it's called Sons in the Sun, The Riches and Reach of Adoption in Christ. I really can't recommend it highly enough, but I am curious what books or, or, or sermons or articles, other resources were most helpful to you as you embarked on this study? What was it that sort of that you read or encountered that caused you to think about this more deeply or be confronted with its reality more sharply? Well, it's clearly for me, it is two, uh, maybe three most uh, important figures. Probably the the first entry point would be J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. I believe it's chapter 12 of that book, that book he published back in the early 70s, in which he really took up the mantle that John Murray had written about, about the glorious privilege of adoption being the apex of Christian privilege, and described it a bit more through the lens of the Puritans. Well, so I would say kind of the J.I. Packer, John Murray, and then secondly, the Puritan writers, a number of them, and, and Joel Beakey's little book on adoption is, is a great little 
treasure there to get a view on how the Puritans viewed adoption. But behind all that, for me, perhaps the most significant figure for me is actually John Calvin. And Calvin's writings are just literally sprinkled full of the use of adoption. Uh, It's in his commentaries, it's in the institutes, it's in his personal letters, it's all over the place for Calvin. And once you begin to, to discern that, you find that it just is literally formulaic for Calvin and his understanding of the gospel, so much so that Brian Garish describes Calvin's doctrine of salvation as as the gospel of adoption. And so I would clearly point to Calvin first, Puritans, including the Westminster Standards, and then more recently, Murray and Packer. Those are really helpful recommendations, and I would also point people to Sons in the Sun. And Dave Garner, thanks for giving us your time today. Thank you, Jonathan, very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Theology on the Go. We cannot do what we do without your faithful support. We're so grateful for generous donors who contribute to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and you can make a contribution by going to AllianceNet.org or PlaceForTruth.org. Just for listening today, we'd like to offer you the opportunity to receive a free copy of Dave Garner's book, Sons in the Sun. You can register to win that free copy at placefortruth.org. And remember to continue to tune in to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.